Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD Plus. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that dollar bills are gross because they often carry traces of salmonella and E. coli. And there's some recent studies that show that the older the bills are, the more contaminated they are, specifically with those bacteria. Money that's printed on cotton material has the highest levels of bacteria as opposed to those created on the newer, slicker, plastic-based money, which has the least. Of course, if we were going to do this right, we would just print it on hemp and no one knows what would happen there because, well, that would just be too efficient and make too much sense now, wouldn't it? What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest of the day is a guy who probably needs no introduction, at least if you're conscious. Just kidding. Uh, this is <laughs> Damon John. He's a best-selling author, a branding guru, and a really sought-after motivational speaker. He's the founder of FUBU, the American clothing and hip-hop apparel company. He grew it from 40 bucks into a $6 billion brand and just came out with a really insightful book called The Power of Broke, where he looks at different people who've launched their own brands and careers from a place of desperation rather than from a place of abundance, which is another cool place to hang out. <laughs> so there's nothing like saying, I got <laughs> nothing nothing else left. 
And in May of 2015, just this last year, the White House appointed uh, him Global Ambassador of Entrepreneurship as part of the PAGE program, and you've certainly seen him on Shark Tank on ABC. So, Damon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it, it's, it's actually a great honor because a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jay Abraham, introduced us, and, and Jay's one of the, the marketing gurus of marketing gurus, and I was, uh, I was pretty stoked when he said, Dave, you should talk to Damon. I'm like, that's funny, because I've been wanting to talk with Damon, so I, I, I'm grateful that you're here. I am too. And Jay, um, you know, I sought out Jay as, uh, you know, to be a, a mentor of mine many years ago because I knew that, uh, you know, I call it life as a series of mentors and um, he's been really, really amazing. And so Jay also mentors me and we also have a, a friend, Joe Polish, in common. So the first the reason I'm bringing this up is a lot of people who are watching this probably don't understand how interconnected a lot of entrepreneurs really are. And there's a few of these super connector guys who really make it possible to spend time uh, with with other people who are performing at these crazy levels. So I think people listening to the show want to understand a couple things. One of them is about the topic of, of your book, The Power of, of Broke. You know, what, what is the role of desperation? But I, I think they also want to know, like, what do you do to kick so much ass? So we're going to start out with The Power of Desperation because you're not desperate anymore and you're still kicking ass. Right. So I want to know how you do that. <laughs> well, you know, I think I think that brings up a good point. So, you know, as I wrote The Power Broke, I also uh, made sure the subtitle was was hopefully self-explanatory. How empty pockets, a tight budget, and a hunger for success can, yeah. can become your greatest yeah. um, competitive advantage. Because I figured people, you know, a lot of people will just judge the book by its cover. They would say, The Power Broke. Well, first of all, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, concentrate on being broke or... I don't want to hear about Damon when he was broke because he's not broke any longer. And uh, neither one of those are, you know, exactly what the book is for. The book is for uh, showing people that there is this advantage that you have when you're broke. I'm not glamorizing being broke and not having resources because, of course, we all need to uh, or should have access to the best medical and the things of that nature. But if you happen to be broke at the time and don't have a lot of resources, then y y you need to do something anyway. So I try to put that in here, what that is. But the people who use the power of broke more than anybody else are the people who get to a level of success and they know that they have to tap into that hunger more than anything else because they cannot buy where they want to go, no matter how much money you have. And, and, that, and that's the theory of the book. Oh, that, that says a lot because uh, uh, you certainly know a lot of people who can buy just about any physical asset on the planet. And with when you're in that kind of a position, you're saying you still can't buy where you want to go. What do you mean by that? Well, because when, uh, when and somebody like a Mark Burnett, who's in my book here, who is you know my uh, the, the producer of Shark Tank, when Mark Burnett came over here, he was one of the special forces uh, type of individuals over in the, the British um, – the British uh, military. He came over here and he got a job as a nanny. <laughs> the, <laughs> this tough guy got a okay. job as a nanny, right? Then he goes off and he sells a couple of T-shirts on, uh, you know, on on Venice Beach. And now, being the top one of the top reality producers in the world, with shows like The Voice, Contender, Apprentice, and all those type of things, when he found this little show that was already doing, you know, good numbers in Japan and London and Canada called Dragons, then he said, "I'm going to bring it to America." Now, he could have went out and put a bunch of individuals on the show that are wildly successful and wildly famous, but he didn't do that. He went out and got 
a Damon John, a Barbara Corkin, a Robert Hershevek, a Kevin O'Leary. And Mark Cuban wasn't even on the show at that time. And another guy named Kevin Harrington, he said, I'm going to use the power broker. And the power broker is this. I can afford anybody I want. I can put on their mu music stars and everything else like that, like all the other shows do. But the general American public will not believe that this big rock star that's on that show is really going to go out there, roll up their sleeves and get down in the trenches with these entrepreneurs uh, and help operate these businesses. And when he did that, when he when he decided to put the band of basically nobodies at the time on ABC on that show, everybody said, nobody's going to watch the show. Why don't you have a bunch of rock stars and athletes up there? And he said, I am not going to do that. I refuse to. And they were about to cancel the show. He used the power of broke, basically, because he could have bought anything he wanted to. And I, I, I have dozens and dozens of examples of things like that in the book. When I whenever when I start a new company. I don't go out and do what uh, you know people think they should do. It costs about a hundred thousand, anywhere from seventy to a hundred thousand dollars to create a full line of uh, samples for yeah. to present well cut and sew samples, everything else like that. And it takes about nine months to get those samples in. I don't do that. I go to a tailor. I make one or two pieces. I put it on an Instagram star or somebody on a video when I pay maybe two or three or four thousand dollars, and I wait to see if the phone rings after that to see if people like that garment. If they don't like the garment, I'll try it again. I'll try it one more time. Then after that, I may have to cut bait because guess what? I don't have a good idea. And you save yourself about oh, $95,000 in the process. Oh, yeah. $95,000 and nine months of work, which, yeah. which one is of course more, right? So it's oper we operate like that all the time. So did you get that? Because you started out, in fact, it's really interesting. You started out selling your home-sewn shirts in Queens. Uh, Mark Burnett got started out in shirts. A lot of people don't know this. My tuition went up by, uh, I thought it was 1,500%. actually went up 1,200%. I went back and did the math when I was at, in university. I was working at Baskin-Robbins scooping ice cream, and I'm like, I can't afford for my college. I can't afford college anymore. So I started a t-shirt company that turned out to be the first e-commerce company ever. And I paid my wow. tuition with this. Like the first product sold over the internet said, caffeine, my drug of choice. And I sold it to 12 countries out of my dorm room, <laughs> right? But like, why is it that like people who are like, I have no money, <laughs> why do t-shirts attract us? It's bizarre that there's like three of us in the same circle here. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I think that we all, <laughs> it's something simple. I think yeah. also the expression of what it is is usually something that's something near and dear to us. You know, and I guess when you were in college, caffeine <laughs> was yeah. it, you know, um, that's and it's fairly easy. I mean, everybody, it's easy to get a T-shirt and it's easy to screen print whether yeah. one or one thousand. And and people love, uh, you know, they love to state things, you know, and I stated Forrest Bias. You stated caffeine. And I don't know what Mark exactly had on his. Maybe it was like, hey, dude, we're, you know, hanging. <laughs> I, you never know. Why did you pick for us by us? I picked For Us Bias because at the time when um, hip hop was really just starting to, you know, become popular, um, we would always have to go and buy clothes that, you know, we find out there that we think are attractive. You know, a $700 uh, ski jacket with Gore-Tex in it when we just need a nice colorful jacket and you know, we didn't need a ski jacket. So we can make one for three, you know, buy one for $300. But more importantly, all the designers that we loved and cherished, we started hearing rumors that they don't like whether African-Americans or rappers or inner city kids wearing their product. And 
you know, I got frustrated and I went and uh, with my friends and we said, when is somebody just going to be happy about the people that support them and love them? Because I'm spending every single dime that I have <laughs> yeah. on clothing. And, and honestly, knowing those designers now, they were really rumors. Most of those designers did not say that. Yeah. But for whatever reason, the rumors got to us and we just got frustrated and we said, for us, by us. And it's about a culture. It wasn't about a color. So you're, you're a pretty famous guy now. Um, how, many, how much of what's reported about you do you think is actually true? Like if you were to just pick a percentage? <laughs> what's, well, what's reported about me that I say is 100% true. Uh, of course. What's reported that people assume is not. I, you know, I hear all the time, um, yeah, Damon, you know, how, how does it feel to be a billionaire? And I say, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I'm not a billionaire. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, you know, and I think that comes from he sold six billion dollars worth of product. That doesn't mean I took six billion dollars home. Right. I have partners, you know, taxes, a couple of things happen in life. Right. <laughs> and and that six billion dollars was over 15 years or 10 years, whatever yeah. it is. Um, and then I think maybe on the show, um, you know, it says, you know, you're about to face a panel of millionaires and billionaires. There's only one billionaire on the show, as far as I know, unless, well, you know, Kevin probably is just not paying taxes. He has a billion underneath his mattress. Uh, so anyway, but anyway, that's there's only one billionaire on the show. Uh, it's uh, it's funny. Uh, one time I've been called a billionaire too, which is so incredibly far from the truth. Um, <laughs> it, it doesn't even it doesn't even make sense. Uh, but it, yeah. it's uh, it's funny because uh, I'm learning as people have learned more about bulletproof that there's all sorts of stuff going on. Like, apparently I have diabetes. I, I didn't know that, and I don't actually have diabetes, but Ooh. it's reported out there. I'm oh, like, thank God. I'm like, okay, <laughs> whatever. But the, the stuff yeah. people assume is oftentimes really funny. It is crazy. So, so as you look at, at your arc, where you went from literally making your own products and selling them to where you are now, it takes a huge amount of of change, just like personally, in, in order to cope with the level of success you've had. And yeah. you're talking about the power of broke. You're talking about how these people have started out and how you started out on a really tight budget. You had this hunger. But what happened to you personally when you started to get really successful? Like, what did that do to your head? Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a very down-to-earth, a, a bunch of down-to-earth partners who grew up with me and, you know, we, we went through everything together. And because I have a lot of friends that I hired, uh, to work with us, um, you know, they keep you humble. You know, it's, it's the friends that, you know, you sit there and you, you can try to talk bad around, like you're the greatest person. And they're like, I was with you in eighth grade when you pooped on yourself. You remember that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so first of all, that, that helps you. Second of all, you know, being in a fashion business is a very fickle business and, you know, a, a normal hot fashion line can probably go about five years and then it, it, it dwindles out. And, you know, over the course of time as food went up and food went down and to the side, we acquired other brands and we acquired about 10 other brands. And about six or seven of them didn't work, and one or two or three started to work. But I've, 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 I've experienced a lot of failure, which is really great. It's part of the process. And, um, and you know, I guess that, uh, you know, listen, I'm just, I try to be a humble person because I'm in the world where I do know a lot of people that have a higher level of success in various different ways, whether you consider success being 
you know, somebody who's going out there and saving our planet. And, and I feel I feel like maybe I'm not doing enough to save our planet or do things or success is somebody who's really dedicated to their faith or success is money. You know, so I've always realized that you're never going to have more money or anything else than other people. Where other people will have it, you know, um, if if, uh, if Bill Gates woke up with Mark Cuban's bank account, he would cut his wrist and jump out the window. <laughs> right. That's a great. So, <laughs> you know, so. Um, I, I, you know, so it just keeps me humble and, and it keeps me thinking, it keeps me on the edge as well, because I know that no matter what people are coming to kick my butt. So, so there's your edge where even though you're successful, you know, you, you got to keep, you got to keep providing value or the success dwindles. Uh, yeah. And certainly I feel that way, but there's a bunch of people listening to this right now who are probably sitting here going, well, you know, I, I've got a job, I got a mortgage, I got kids. You know, I'm not desperate. I don't have the power of broke, uh, but I still want to do something. Where do you, where do those people find the drive? Well, you know, I don't I don't think that the power. I don't. Th- well, it all depends. First of all, what is the goal? I mean, they're not desperate, but maybe they are. I mean, you may have, you know, you may have your own kids. You may have a cushy job, but you hate what you do. <laughs> I, I might have been right. There. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you hate what you do, or. The person you're working for gets all the acknowledgement, and we know that studies have shown that people will people will take acknowledgement over sex and money. Mm-hmm. And you want to be known for something. Maybe your kids don't want you to be known. Maybe maybe you don't want to go to the grave with your kids knowing you as the working stiff that uh, never came home because you had a pile of papers in your desk as an attorney and you worked for a corporation and they couldn't care less about you. And maybe they want to know you as somebody who went out and challenged yourself in a different way and used all that drive that you're giving and working on somebody else's dream. You decided to do that on your own dream and you're happy to live and die by the results of what you did that day. So, you know, the drive can be, the drive can come from anywhere. What about uh, this uh, idea of failure? I mean, most really successful entrepreneurs probably failed a couple times before they they hit it really big. Um, did you? Uh, yeah, I mean, but that's only if, if we consider it failure. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't, I, I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm going to put that word on because honestly, um, I tell everybody, I I closed Fubu down from 1989. I closed it down three times from 1989 to 1992 because I ran out of capital, but. It, it did a couple of things, and this is this is the essence of what the power broke is. Number one, I took affordable steps. So when I ran out of a thousand dollars, I was ready. I was able to recover from that. I didn't take a hundred, two hundred thousand dollar loan day one, and then go out and ruin my credit for seven years and have a bunch of people mad at me. Uh, number two is when I closed it down, the business kept calling me. I didn't have to open it back up, but I opened it back up because somebody would say to me. Man, you know that FUBU shirt I bought from you? Can I buy another one? And I would start to feel this, uh, this, this really great feeling about dressing other people. And I also would say, I want to give it another shot. If it was something I wasn't passionate about, I would have just scratched it because I've done that before. And then also uh, another point is that my friends that were around me, the character came out of them. If they're, they weren't getting paid, but they were like, I'm ready to go again. Yes, I just worked eight hours at my day job, and I'm ready to come in here and put five hours every night with you sewing shirts and mailing them and boxing them and everything else. So all that stuff comes out when you're broke and you tap into it. If I had money, I would have just spent it right away. I would have said, I, didn't, uh, I need to advertise more. Oh, my friends, let me pay you. Oh, you know, let me, let me get a better quality shirt. Oh, LL Cool J? I'm not going to beg you to wear my stuff for free. I have $10,000. Here you go. <laughs> All that would have went right out the window in one minute. 
And, and you think you're better off because you didn't do that? I know I'm better off because I didn't do it. And I know that um, I see that happen because, honestly, once I made a good amount of money, I blew $6 million on launching a clothing line that I didn't know much about. And I thought I can hire all the people around me. And it showed me that unless I'm ready to get up and, and, and do the work myself every day and roll up my sleeves, people are going to tell me anything they want. And I'm going to I'm going to pay the money, pay the money, pay the money. I turned around and it didn't do anything for me. Uh, losing $6 million is pretty traumatic. I, uh, I made $6 million when I was 26 uh, at the company that created cloud <laughs> computing. I lost it when I was 28. Uh, yep. <laughs> and that, that's one of those things where I'm happy to call that a failure because like, like you, uh, failure is, is actually data. It's just learning. And it, It's tuition. It's tuition. And, and last night, I mean, every night I put my kids to bed and, and I... I say, well, what was your failure for today? And, and uh, some parents are like horrified. I'm like, no, really. And if the kids don't have something that they tried to do that they just didn't know how to do yet, I'm like, oh, I guess it wasn't a very good day because you didn't learn anything. <laughs> like you didn't push yourself very hard. That's a very good point. I think I'm going to use that. And it, it's it's actually changed the whole way they look at like every little thing they do. Where it's like, oh, that's okay. Like like maybe tomorrow I'll get it. And and right. I didn't grow up that way. I don't think almost anyone does. So I would try and hide the failures, and honestly, I'd probably still have that $6 million, which would have made starting Bulletproof a lot easier because this was all shoestringed. Um, but you know, I, I lost it because honestly, I didn't want to face failures and, and things like that. And do you see that more with people who are starting out from a position of like, I'm desperate, I got, I've got no safety net? Are they more willing to face failure and learn from it, or is that really less of an issue? Yeah, no, they are. They're, they're, they know that the failure is part of the process. You know, even when I look at, if you look at real entrepreneurs that, well, first of all, the entrepreneurs I like, when I, even when they're in Shark Tank or in my personal life, when they walk up to me and I talk to them, if they don't have any failures, especially in that business we're talking about, I don't want to do business with them yeah. because I don't want my money to be tuition. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> the saying that I've been using all the time lately, which I love, is Mike Tyson said, Everybody's got a game plan until they get punched in the face, right? <laughs> and I want you to get punched in the face because by the time I was, by the time FUBU got big, my face was a punching bag. <laughs> I'd already known what I can't do, what I tried. You'd ask me a question, I would, oh, tried it, failed. Up, oh, tried that, failed. Up, oh, tried. And then when you finally come up with something that is a combination of something I failed at, but a new twist, but a, a, and an affordable step, and we can try it, I was going to try it again. So of all those punches to the face you took, what was the biggest one and what did you learn from it? The biggest one was when I almost lost my 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 I, I got a hundred thousand dollar loan because we had three hundred thousand dollars in orders. Mm -hmm. And I got a three hundred a hundred thousand dollar loan on my house because we figured, okay, I got three hundred thousand dollars in orders. Now I have to make the goods, let me go sell the take the mortgage on the house, sell the goods, put the money back into the house. All right, so now I can basically mitigate my downside. I didn't have financial intelligence, and I almost lost the house. Uh, and um, I turned around. I didn't have any of that money in the bank because of my lack of financial intelligence. So I thought my job was done now when I said, okay, I have orders. I have cash. I have customers. That's easy. But not knowing that I was going to pay for raw goods 90 days ahead of <laughs> in advance to get or and then pay for utilities, shipping, billing, uh, manufacturing and my staff and then my receivables I wasn't getting for 60, 30, 90 days and not understanding what financial intelligence was, 
that was the biggest thing because that haunted me and I almost lost everything I ever worked for then. And then later on, when I first started making some real money, when I ran through a couple of million dollars quickly, not and not even trying to be not even trying to be lavish. So I always heard, you know, jewelry is really, you know, it's an investment, right? It can, <laughs> you know, it will retain value, re- resell it. No. Yeah. Raw stones, diamonds, those are an investment. Not when you wear the diamond around your neck in a Mickey Mouse uh, uh, medallion, crushed diamonds. That, those, that, that's jewelry. Yeah. Diamonds and or, rare, or, and or stones hold value. So I thought I was taking great advice. I had a million-dollar watch collection. I sold it back for $200,000. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> You know, because because they they were Rolexes, but I decided to go to another jeweler, and he put non Rolex diamonds around it, all crushed up and this and that, the stupidest things as gold chains and medallions. Somebody was like, "Yeah, I'll, let me give me this stuff. I'll melt it all down. Here's your two hundred thousand dollars." So I made mistakes yeah. like that, and it was because I didn't have financial intelligence. Those are the biggest times I got punched in the face. And the the fact that you didn't have financial intelligence came because. Well, you grew up without it, right? I mean, you grew up on the streets of Queens, and, and I would argue most people, unless you come from a wealthy family, you don't have financial intelligence. So what, what are the most important financial intelligence things that you'd find, you say everyone does, just doesn't have? Well, first of all, it's the fundamentals. When you're operating a business, it's very simple. You know, business uh, can, can only be operated two different ways. You sell more or you reduce your costs. And then understanding about taxes and things that need to be written off and how to look at a uh, you know, a good P&L sheet and, you know, um, uh, compounding interest and things of that nature. You know, it's as the people come up on Shark Tank and they don't know their numbers. You got to know your numbers. You know, a lot of people are bleeding, they're hemorrhaging and they just don't want to face it. It's kind of like that whole theory of there's nothing like there, there's no such thing as a free puppy. Oh, look, that puppy's for free. <laughs> all right. Well, now you got the puppy and now now you got to feed it and give it shots. And, you know, the thing is crapping all over the place. There's nothing, as you know, so. It's just all the ways of operating a business. Um, and, and, you know, and then also looking at how to expand the business. You know, Jay Abraham is the master yeah. of teaching that there's only three ways to grow a business. Number one is go out and acquire more customers. Number two is uh, upsell your current customers. Or number three is have your customers buy more frequently. That's it. Yep. Done. That's it. And if, if you know your numbers and know where you're going to go do that, well, before you go and build this great glamorous office and spend, you have a million dollars for some reason. You hit the lottery, you have a million dollars. Don't go build all this massive uh, this office and this big payroll and software that you can't even work. Go find customers and find out how you're going to sell to your customers because that's more important than anything else. And that's part of financial intelligence mixed with business acumen. So you sought out Jay Abraham and, and doubtless a bunch of other mentors and, and people that share info with you. How soon in your evolution did you do that? Like, like and, and what made you do it? Because a lot of entrepreneurs I run into, first first timers, they, they're almost like resistant to that kind of feedback. Like they they, they kind of want to do it alone. Like they're going to break all the rules and, and yeah. just walk into a wall. Um, <laughs> what what made you do this? How big of a role did, did all those mentors have in teaching you financial intelligence and all the other things that that, that got you where you are? Um, you know what? I think I've had a great history. First, it started with my mother. Second, it was a really amazing teacher in my school. And then I, I went and sought after. Uh, I didn't realize I was, you know, searching for this individual, but it was somebody that worked in a, 
uh, owned, excuse me, a small little store in my neighborhood, uh, sold groceries. And I would go and after school and I would basically clean up and, and ask the person questions. And I saw that I was applying every one of this, these, these people's information towards every new business and or thing I was doing. My stepfather would come into my life and he's a great business person and he would teach me things. So as I grew and I, I came up to a certain level of business where I'm making a lot of money, I just knew that Yes, I had my older mentors in my life, and they were definitely uh, people uh, uh, that I could speak to. But, you know, I need people that are, may have been a little more worldly at the time or, you know, maybe they will give me advice in certain areas of a very specific thing that I'm trying to do where my traditional mentors may not have known that area of business. So I always, you know, we all go out and seek advice. And uh, whether we're seeking an attorney, a tax professional or, or things of that nature, but we usually uh, seek that too late and not in the beginning. Yeah. And so I always knew that I need to seek this advice in the beginning, not when I already have uh, a problem. That, that was a huge entrepreneurial lesson for me uh, was that successful entrepreneurs actually get value from helping and, and they're not necessarily looking for you know, a, a buck out of it. Uh, so I, I kind of thought when I first, you know, I was I was 19 and trying to start companies. They're like, like no one's really going to help me. I got to go this on my own. And and I realize now, it, it, guys, guys like Jay and, and just um, just so many other incredibly giving, very successful people whose time I couldn't afford are happy to get on the phone and chat because you just realize like you're working on something interesting. Like like I'd, I'd like to help. And even when I was uh, much younger and just getting started out, there were always people willing to help sitting out there if only I was willing to ask for it. When uh, and, and things have changed, though, over that amount of time. Now, one of the ways you ask for help is you, you just go on Shark Tank. So right. uh, what I want to know is, is all right, going on Shark Tank is kind of a, a very professional version of this, but when a normal young entrepreneur without a lot of backing, uh, sort of a classical power broke case, if they were to, to pick up the phone and call someone who's been successful in business or say call you, um, what do they? What do they need to have? What do they need to say in order to basically go? Oh, this this person has it. Uh, like yeah. they've got it. They're, they're worth yeah. twenty minutes of my time. Like, like what? What do they have to do? What do they have to be? It's it's a person that is already out there creating some form, of getting some form of traction, or or creating some form of change at a very small scale. But you can see it's impressive. Um, and it's somebody who who you see they're not going to stop, and you can tell that they also have an urge to pay it forward and to help others. And those individuals, you want to you want to basically know that they already have done or they're still doing as much as they can before you, and they're not looking to you for hey, you know what? I need mentorship, and how do I do this and that? And I find I find that often when people come up to me and say I need mentorship and give me give me some answers to this and that. I noticed something. I asked them some questions. And I noticed they haven't read any of the books out there by any of the amazing individuals that are out there. They didn't apply to any kind of uh, school or even put put something up on a crowdfunding platform or even put up a video. It took 30 seconds on their phone to say, hey, everybody, hey, the world, here's my idea. What do you think about this? You know, even just on a private YouTube platform to get 10 likes, 20 likes, 70 likes, they just go, yeah, yeah, give me some advice. Um, but then there's other people that you they, they say, hey, here's what I'm doing. I wish you could be part of it. Any kind of words of advice you have for me. But you can tell they're not solely depending on you. They're moving forward and they're cranking. Uh, a young lady wrote me. I, I told everybody, if you really can't afford the book, you know, send send me a letter and tell me why you can't afford the book. 
some people, you know, told me, you know, sent me letters about how their business is not doing that well. And they, you know, and this and that. And, you know, I can see the pictures of them and they're in front of Mercedes Benz and things <laughs> of that nature. <laughs> and one woman said, sent me a letter and said, I was physically dying because I needed a heart transplant. And I and I got one after two years. And she sent me a picture of her and the donor. It was a young man who gave his life for this amazing country of ours. So you and I can be free men and talk on this phone and do what we on this on this podcast, do what we want to do. And she went out after that, and I think she then got eight hundred people on her own to sign up to be organ donors in the event that they passed. Wow. Now, that's somebody that could not be stopped. And she didn't say she didn't have any money for a book, but if I didn't want to send it to her, it, it was okay. Yeah. That is the power of broke. That is a person who said, I'm gonna pay it forward, I'm not gonna stop. And she got 800 people to say, I'm going to donate my organ. That's not something people want to talk about normally. Death is not something people mm-hmm. want to talk about. So that, those are the type of people that get mentors. Yeah, that, that sense of integrity and, and like it, it's not a grasping sort of attached, a, attached to your brand kind of thing. Right. Yeah, I, I, I love helping people too. And, and I, I work with several small startups, but the, the, there's a, a certain like entitlement thing that actually repulses successful entrepreneurs as far as I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then there's like a, an, an authentic, hey, like I, I'd love to learn, uh, but, but I'm not going to waste your time and I'm not going to, you know, you're not going to carry the weight for me. I, I just, I, I, want, I want you to help me not walk into walls. And like it's exactly. hard to teach that, but I, I'm starting to to learn how to how to spot the the people that I want to spend a little extra time with. Hundred percent. So now let's let's change gears. And now, if you're on Shark Tank, it's a little bit of a different game there. How do you spot a winner on Shark Tank? A lot of the a lot of the same uh, you know you know characteristics are there. A winner that comes up and they they talk about their story and how they came from you know some they could you know they could be somebody who had resources around them. But they tapped into some a certain vein or a certain amount of uh, a certain segment. Uh, number one. Number two is they talk about their failures. They talk about their failures on how this and that didn't work. But then I finally was like, there's got to be a better way. And bang, I found this. And we always like to see some level of proof of concept, some level of sales or interest. Cool. I mean, you know, sell fifty dollars worth of stuff if it's. If it costs a dollar and you you sold fifty of the items outside of your trunk, you know, in two hours, that's a deal. That's a big deal potentially because we're going to do that same amount of sales uh, all day long in every single location in the world, right? So we need to know how. Those are the couple of things. And again, last but not least, they have to actually love what they do. Yeah. They have to be passionate about it, you know. What about the people who, who don't make it? Is it that they didn't prepare or is it just that their ideas weren't very good? <laughs> you know, I say that we don't we don't have the right to judge what, uh, you know, the if something's going to work or not. We just have the right to judge if it's good for us. You could be the best. You can you can have the best clothing line in the world with suits and beautiful ties. But trust me, Mark Cuban is not going to invest. <laughs> this is a guy that this is a guy that rolls out of his bed in his uh, whatever he has on pajamas and goes right to right to wherever he goes like that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's allergic to a tie. Right. So most likely he's not going to invest. So so the ones who don't make it, it all depends. The ones that we basically can, will cut up are the ones that are not listening to us okay. because we say something like, well, tell me about it. Well, I I opened up. I, I went into my kid's college fund. My grandmother, I had to take her 401k, and now 
I only I have I have a million dollars left of inventory of, you know, the product, but I want to buy another two million dollars and some advertising because it's going to do better. And that's when we are (laughs) furious. Run screaming. We're like, (laughs) yeah, we're like, first of all, you should you're you're wrong. Why? Because everybody in your family loves you and they want to be part of what you're doing. They're rooting for you, but you're not being responsible with your grandmother's money and with your kid's college fund. And your wife is allowing or your husband allowing you to do it, you're wrong, number one. Number two, why are you giving me reasons you can't sell inventory, number one? It better be severely damaged. If not, either the inventory sucks or you don't want to get off your butt or don't know how to get off your butt and sell it. And I'm not here to sell your inventory because I have a million dollars worth of old fubu crap in the warehouse that I got to go sell. <laughs> so, you know, the, those are the things that, uh, you know, either piss us off or get us excited about people. What would you say as just an average piece of advice uh, to uh, people out there? If, if a family member comes to you with a crazy entrepreneurial idea and wants you to tap into your retirement or take a mortgage on your house, how do you know if you should do it or not? I, w- I would say why don't you go out there and uh, now again, you know, we, we're, we're generalizing. So if this person wants to open up, a, I'll give you an example. Somebody wants to open up a full retail shop because they want to go and sell cupcakes. And they say, hey, you know, I want to do that. I would say, OK, do me a favor. Uh, show me you can sell a couple. Why don't you just go get a kiosk for one month in the mall for two thousand dollars and go and sell your cupcakes there? Or, yeah. hey, why don't you go over to where the butcher, the butcher shop is and ask them, can you put your c- cupcakes in consignment over there? When somebody goes to buy a porterhouse or whatever it else else it is, they also may pick up some of the cupcakes. Why don't you show me that if they're not willing to do that and exercise the power broke? Because that's basically what yeah. it is. It's an acid test. Then I would say, tell them you really can't do it. I had a an uncle uh, going back, God, it's got to be 25 years or something, who came to his parents and said, you know, I, I, I need some money for this crazy technology data center company thing. And he ended up, they gave him uh, not a lot of money, uh, but enough that it was kind of meaningful for them. But what they said, and I think this is really valuable, they said, we figured the money was gone forever, but it was our son and we love him. Uh, but it was enough to get the company going. And it turns out he he went public. And uh, the company is called Cybex, but ended mm-hmm. up basically making my grandparents' retirement and his, his own retirement uh, pretty, pretty reasonably well. But it would have been really foolish had my grandparents taken their actual retirement and put that on the line uh, because they, they could have made that decision. And, and I, I've seen lots of situations where people do that. And um, I, I, I'm concerned about that. I love entrepreneurship, but it's not okay to kind of take advantage of those, those family relationships and to, to in, in, endanger someone else's you know, happy retirement because of, of your idea, no matter how good it is. It really isn't. And I think that, you know, you know, one thing that as we all, as I've been saying, and I know you're aware of, you take affordable steps. I mean, why do you have to go and take so much money? It's not going to do anything besides give you a false sense of security for a little bit longer time until you fail. You know, so, you know, many stories are like that where there was a very small amount of friends and family. But the way the process goes, as you know, Number one, you 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 back it with whatever money you currently have. Go dig in your couch. Go uh, maybe take a little bit of a credit card bill. Hey, sell that big screen TV that you bought and don't go out to dinner as much. And you do that first. Then you go to a couple of friends and family and, you know, maybe you throw a party, throw a little gathering at your house and tell everybody, hey, everybody, I want you to know what I'm trying to do here. And if possible, if not, I understand. But if you would like to 
all put in a thousand apiece and let me share with you what I'm doing and keep you updated on Facebook, on the movement of the company. And maybe you get 10,000, maybe you get $20,000, something like that. And then if you're starting to grow, you then go and ask for more money. If you can see clear growth, because also friends and family, they want to be in the business because, you know, so you start becoming successful. They say, well, why did you ask me for the money? And also, when you ask somebody for a couple of dollars, you really see who's friends <laughs> and who's family. So, you know, but you, but it has to be slow growth. And I think that when you just told me that story, I thought you were talking about, uh, I don't think they went public. I don't know if they are, but I, I think the the Infusionsoft was also started very, very similar way. Yeah. They went out to a couple of dollars and, uh, you know, they got it and, and they helped. But they didn't try to go break the bank with everybody else's money. Yeah, even Bulletproof, it was entirely started with with writing and, and almost almost no money at all. And I, I did raise money much later on, but I raised money when I didn't need to raise money because I realized I could, I could reach more people and, and just do greater good there. But it, it was from a, a position of strength, not a position of, of need or desperation at all. It, it was... Um, it was yeah, I'm, I mean, you and I both know people have this this idea that you only need to come out with a product and do, and there's only one way to do it. There's so many different ways to start up. I, you know, I know, I know, I remember hearing about this woman. She was doing a blog about just taking care of her children, whatever the case is. But she had children about four different ages, and so she was a little more uh, advanced in regards to what she's done with them. And you know what? A couple of mothers started listening. A couple of mothers started listening to this kind of podcast or this blog that she was doing. And now she has maybe 2,000 mothers all giving $10 a month or $5 or $3 a month to listen to this blog. And she's at home doing what she does best, sharing this information with a bunch of other women. And she will sooner or later come out with products. But she is the voice of expertise. And all she was doing was finding people that needed this information. If you have a product or you have a, a, a concept why don't you find out if a crowd really listens to it? I mean, we did that with FUBU. We just yeah. found the segment of the market that wanted to wear the type of stuff we were wearing, and we started to talk to them. That's uh, it's so cool to listen to the customers like that. Now, we're, we're getting, on, uh, getting far along in the show, and the main focus on Bulletproof Radio is what do high-performance people do to, to be high-performance? So, so I interview people who've kicked ass in all kinds of different fields, and you, you've definitely done this in the, the field of business. But I want to know, what do you do when you wake up in the morning? What's the first thing you do? First thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I read my goals that I have written down. Uh, first of all, I read them before I go to bed so they're the last things that I think about. And then I read them in the morning when I get up so they're the first things that I think about. And my goals consist of uh, seven goals that expire all in six months. They range from my health to family, to business, and I believe it's three other goals. Well, one is a five, uh, two or five-year goals, and one is a 20-year goal. And um, that's what I do religiously when I get up in the morning. Hopefully, I would be uh, also going and working out and reading my goals while I'm working out because the adrenaline uh, basically kicks them into high gear. And, uh, and then I go about my day. Do you have kids? I have two kids, absolutely, yeah, 17 and 22. Ah, okay, so they're old enough to not interrupt your goal reading. <laughs> well, yeah, my kids are like the rest of our kids. They think that I'm the dumbest man on the planet. So they're not only not interrupting my goal, they're just not interrupting me at all. Got it. 
I, I used to have more morning rituals than I did, but as it is, my morning rituals oftentimes, you know, punctuated by someone landing on me, and, and like that's cool. But okay, okay so you're, you're at the stage <laughs> of life where where you've got some morning peace. All right, so you you basically focus on the big pictures. Now, what taught you to do that? Are you like a think and grow rich kind of old school personal growth thing? Like like you you hit it right yeah, on the head. Too. I remember I, I read that amazing book when I was 16 years <laughs> old. And um, when I read that book, man, I started reading it every every year, or every other year I'd read the book because I'm dyslexic. And a lot of times <clears throat> I wouldn't absorb all the information from when I was reading it until today. It is by far my favorite my favorite book ever. You know, I read it when I was 16, too, and I, and I followed that stuff religiously. I had the goals right on my mirror. And uh, one of my goals mm-hmm. was, was that I was going to make a million dollars by the time I was 23, and, and I didn't. So I'm like, this, this crap doesn't work. I made $6 million when I was 26, right? <laughs> like, I was only behind yeah. by a little bit, but, uh, you know, it, it, it is the most important book I've read. And so it, it's, it's funny. We were both the same age when, when we read it. And for everyone listening, like, <laughs> Damon's kind of kicked a little yeah. bit of ass, and there's a reason he writes his goals down. And you know, it, it, it's funny because I had the same goal that I was going to be a millionaire by the time I was 23. No kidding. Uh, <laughs> I I did, I did, but I I I focused on the wrong yeah. part about it. It wasn't a passion. Yeah. I decided I was just going to do it because of money. Yep. And so I had this great schedule on how every time I buy a wrecked car at three thousand dollars, I put it together for another two thousand. I sell it for ten thousand. And I did the math, yeah. and if I sell X amount of cars by this time and date and age, I would end up having a million dollars by 23. Well, you know, <laughs> life came and punched me in the face, and I, before I know it, I was a waiter at Red Lobster at 23 years old, and I didn't go to college. I was so smart. I was smarter than all the other kids, and they were all coming back from college now, and I was serving them shrimp embarrassed that I was, uh, you know, no, nowhere near uh, successful. Um, but then by the age of 27, um, I had about 40, 40 or $50 million in the bank. So you, you did it. And I would encourage people listening. And I, I want to hear your experience on this too. My mistake was actually, I, I didn't say get and keep the money. And, and I didn't put any, any mission or reason <laughs> for the money. Money in and of itself is actually yes. not that useful. If I would have said, like, I'm going to get a million dollars and I'm going to change the world with it. I'm going to do one good thing with it. It probably would have changed, but as it was, yeah, I got it, and then I just went right away, and you know, <laughs> and it wasn't because I was buying Rolexes either. It, it was, you know, circumstances right. that I, I probably could have changed, but I was too stubborn to change. And yeah, uh, so I, I, I feel like, like if we were to offer any real, like the biggest value to, to someone listening right now who doesn't write those goals down or hasn't read Think and Grow Rich, you might have just nailed that right on the head. Yeah. All right. So, what else do you do throughout the day that makes you kick more ass? Like. Like, what do you eat? What do you exercise? Like, what do you do that's special? Well, you know, I, I try to I try to exercise as much as possible, um, which I haven't been keeping up with lately, which, again, going back to my goals, I'm kicking back into gear and I'm doing it. I try to eat, uh, eat as clean as possible because I know that um, we can have as many goals in our yeah. lives as we want. But if we have too much sugar or carbs and things of that nature that, 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 that can hurt us, to, uh, you know, our health is by far the most important thing that we have. Um, uh, I also try to surround myself with like-minded people and people that I really want to work with. And I try to empower them as much as possible. You know, I'm a person that firmly believes you can't hold somebody who's going to get something great done. You can't hold them down. So be part of the ride. And if they move on someplace else, you'll find another way to work with them, but don't ever try to hold anybody back and try to empower the people around you. And, um, you know, those are pretty much the things. And I, and I just, 
I just still have this theory of, you know, I got to get up before everybody and go to bed after everybody and out hustle and, and love what I do every single day. Awesome. That sounds like a, a pretty amazing recipe for, for kicking ass. Do you think you were, were you born this way or did you make yourself this way? I think that I think that I, I, re, I read a great book. It's called, uh, I believe, Just Start by uh, the president uh, of, of Babson uh, College. And the way he described it, and I will agree, is I think we're all born uh, uh, thinking like entrepreneurs and thinking like this. I think that um, often we have people that are around us who who put these blinders on us and they set goals for us because if we're not reading our own goals and setting our own goals, we often are letting people set goals for us. Meaning you can't do that. It hasn't been done. How dare you think you, you can go change the world or do this and that you're going to embarrass yourself or you're going to embarrass us. And I think that that stops us from becoming entrepreneurial thinking. And, and don't get me wrong. I don't think that everybody is set out to be an entrepreneur as in run the company, Mm -hmm. but you should be an entrepreneur because you know, there's people that need you in the company to think within the company and be an entrepreneur. So I believe we're all born thinking like that. And some people stop us. I happen to have a mother that said, when I came home with that idea of FUBU, I said, I'm going to sell, I'm going to, I'm going to create a little store, ma, and I'm going to sell as many clothes to all the people in the neighborhood. She was like, think bigger. <laughs> I said, all right, I'm going to sell to everybody in Manhattan. She said, think bigger. I said, everybody in the country she said, think bigger. I said, everybody in the planet. She said, think bigger. I said, there is no other place to sell. She said, all right, now get the hell out of here. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> she made me think big, you know what I mean? So she made me stay an entrepreneur. So, so good, good parenting. And, and that, that's, that's awesome. And uh, last, last or second to last question, because I know we're running up against your calendar here. What did you do yeah. for your own kids to instill this in them? You know, I, you know, I've, I've tried a lot of the methods of, you know, you go out there and you work and if you want to buy something, you know, I will match the money for you. But, uh, you know, it, it's really I find my kids Lee, uh, I, I find my kids have followed me by example. You know, as much as you, I try to teach them uh, their mother, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not with their mother. We're divorced and their mother is an absolute amazing person. And she's uh, raised my kids very just I can't even I can't even tell you how great she is. And she's a hard worker. I'm a hard worker. We're both, you know, we both came from the same neighborhood. You know, we didn't have much. And my kids go out there and they they do things that uh, they see us do in regards to working very hard. My kids, I never told my kids daughters to get a job and they went out and got jobs uh, without me. I, you know, so I would think that I, I was hoping my daughters would get a job maybe by 18 because I wanted them to do really good school. And they were trying to get jobs at 14 and 15 and 16. So I really didn't have to tell them much. They just really they, our kids watch everything you do and they start to treat people like they see you treating people. And I, and I really think that that's really the biggest thing you can do for your kids. Uh, that that's amazing. Amazing advice. And I'm, I'm always looking for other things I can do uh, with my kids just to teach them to be more whoever they are. Yeah, All right. absolutely. We're up to our final <laughs> question in the show, and you're following yeah. only 250 or so people who've also answered this question, so no pressure. I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> uh, given all the stuff you've learned in your life, uh, business or not, uh, if someone came to you tomorrow and said, look, I want to I kick more ass at everything I do, what are the top three recommendations you'd have for me? The top three things I need to know. If you want to kick ass at everything yeah, you do? I want to be better at everything. I want to be a better human. I want to be a better human. Surround yourself with like-minded people, inclusive of mentors, number one. 
Number two, find your passion. What makes you happy? If you don't have any drive and you don't have any passion, then you will never, uh, you know, you will never, you'll, you'll never enjoy what you're doing. And if I had to leave it back down to the number one, and make sure the passion, inclusive of that passion, has something to do with your family. So whether it's going out and doing this business that you love and then making sure you have that balance and spend time with your family and then it energizes you to do more business and more business energizes you to spend more time with your family. I'm talking about passion when it comes to that. And then um, last but not least is take care of yourself. Yeah. You know, make sure that you put make sure that you exercise, eat healthy and do all those things first. Not I'm going to get to the gym next week. Not I'm going to start a, a decent regimen next year when I make money because it absolutely is opposite. It, it, when your body is at rest and you're not doing things motionless, you actually don't want to do other things in life. So you need to stay healthy because if you don't have your health, you won't have that family around because you'll be dead and you won't be able to do any of those things <laughs> that you want to do because you'll just, You'll be you'll be sick. So those are the three things, and they're not in any specific order. Uh, beautiful. I, I appreciate you sharing that. that that's it. So th- thanks. It, it's been an honor to chat with you to have you on the show. And uh, for for people listening, you need to check out the Power Broke. It's different than a lot of the books I recommend on Bulletproof Radio, but it's totally got some stories in it, and it's got a way of thinking that's really valuable for you. So go out to Amazon and pick up Power Broke. Damon, thanks, man. Thank you very much. I'll talk a little bit about what brought me to Bulletproof. I was a busy professional. I was an attorney. I did unconventional criminal defense and shattered the Mr. Defender model. And I loved showing up for my clients. And because I had this niche of clients who didn't feel that they were served by Mr. Defenders, I had a flourishing firm. And then I developed a blood sugar disorder and it totally disrupted my practice and disordered my life. I tried so many different diets, everything I could possibly think of to keep my blood sugar stable so I could have the energy and focus to put my life back together. I finally discovered the ketogenic diet, which seemed absurd and even dangerous at the time. My friends and family warned me against eating all that fat and butter. What am I doing? That was the only thing that restored my energy and focus and it reversed my blood sugar disorder. After I reclaimed vitality, I thought, what am I going to do now? Well, I could reopen this flourishing business model or I can take everything that I learned about being powerfully present for my clients and showing up and making a difference in their lives and combine that with cutting edge science-based wisdom about helping people hack their own challenges. So whatever it is that's showing up and getting in their way of living that powerful life that they want, I can be there to guide them through that, to be their power partner. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. 
This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.